Every year on June 4th, we remember the Tiananmen Square Massacre of 1989. Now this year, our thoughts also go to the protesters in Hong Kong and in the United States. So in today's program, we take a closer look at why we protest. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So. First, let's take a look at the stories on our radar. The southern city of Kaohsiung is gearing up to vote on Saturday on whether to recall Mayor Han Guoyu. Behind the recall campaign is resentment at Han's decision to take time off to run for president in January, despite earlier promises that he wouldn't do so. Han lost that election. Will he lose the recall vote too? After 32 years, Taiwan's last evening newspaper has folded. The United Evening News published its last issue on Monday, citing a shift to digital media, changing reading trends, and the COVID-19 pandemic. The final cover featured all of the covers in the newspaper's history and the Chinese characters for thank you. More than a dozen print publications have gone under in Taiwan since 2001. Taiwan's constitutional court has struck down an 85-year-old law criminalizing adultery. Activists say the law had disproportionately been used to convict women and had even been used to pressure victims of sexual assault to stay silent. It's been called the most beautiful stretch of railway in Taiwan, and now with a newly opened section of elevated track, the Southern Link Line is even more beautiful. After three years of work, the elevated track is finally ready to offer passengers stunning views of the Pacific. And under the radar, and under the sea, a government research center has released 5,000 juvenile striped beakfish in waters off the outlying Penghu Islands. The goal is to increase the population of this native species and restore the local marine environment. Future releases of other species are also planned. And now for our words of the week. Andrew, ready? Yes. Happy. Not Help. happy. Helping hands. Helplessness. Oof. That's right. Well, we're going to be talking about um, protests and why we protest. And psychologists say one reason is a shared sense of helplessness within the current systems. We'll be telling you more about the reasons behind pe why people protest in Taiwan Explained today. All righty. Are you ready for my words? Yes. All right. Help. Hold. Hope. Oh. You know, That's I was a thinking, positive word. what word should I choose? And I was thinking, uh, the obvious ones are outrage, anger, fear. But I thought that maybe I would choose something a little bit more positive. Because I think if, if you're taking to the streets, if you are protesting, you must have even just a tiny little bit of hope that what you are doing is going to work. So I'm going to hold on to that. That's a great word. Great way to balance it out. Yes. Two H words. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, right. let's put these on the shelf. I want to start off today by showing you a photo. Have a look at this. This is a crowd gathered in Hong Kong in one of the many candlelight vigils that have been held over the years in memory of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. This year, for the first time in 30 years, Hong Kong police have banned the event. They say it poses a major threat to public health. Now instead, organizers are calling on people to hold small gatherings and to light candles in honor of those who have died. And I know that the people of Hong Kong will because they're no stranger to protests. Have a look at this photo. This is from a year ago this month. Two million people took to the streets of Hong Kong to march for their own freedom. Just like the people of Beijing did in Tiananmen Square 31 years ago today. That's an incredible photo, isn't it? 
It's unforgettable. It's unforgettable. Yeah. So why do people protest in places like Beijing, the United States, Hong Kong, and, and here in Taiwan? Well, that's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you why we protest. All right, Natalie, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. You ready? Yes. All right, go. In 1967, at Stanford University, Dr. Martin Luther King explained why people riot. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. Psychologists say there's a tipping point when shared anger ignites collective action. In the U.S., it was the video of George Floyd being killed by the police. The Tiananmen protests were sparked by the death of pro-reform Communist Party chairman Hu Yaobang. In Taiwan, a similar student democracy protest began in March 1990 after National Assembly members extended their own terms and gave themselves a raise. Last year, an extradition law incited Hong Kong protesters who were afraid Beijing would take away their freedom. People protest when they don't trust the system and the authorities. We protest out of fear of what will happen if we don't. Excellent job, Thanks, Natalie. Andrew. That was great. Gave you a couple seconds. Extra. I think I needed that. That's it, a big topic. It's a big topic, and I think it's really important to yeah. get all the way through it. Thanks. Yeah, so thanks for that. And that is our Taiwan Explained for the week. What was the biggest demonstration in Taiwan's history? You may be surprised to know the answer. Are you guys ready? I'm going to be asking you today about some of the biggest events that have led people to take to the streets in Taiwan. All right, let's start off with a uh, big one. Let's talk with the, about the most violent protest in the last century. Do you know what that was? Oh, in the world? No, in no, Taiwan. In Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know which one it is. Most violent. It must have been 228. 228, oh, that's, that's thinking, correct. That, so, that yeah, that definitely counts. Okay. Um, so that's the February 28th incident of 1947. Now, tensions were already high because the authorities had just come from China uh, and they were ruling the local people with a pretty heavy hand at the time. Now, the flashpoint, do you know what the flashpoint was? A cigarette seller, 40-year-old woman who got her cigarettes taken away because they weren't supposed to be sold. Yeah. That's right. The police actually hit her. And this actually also reminds me of Eric Garner in New York City also selling cigarettes. Um, so what happened is they hit her. The crowd kind of went crazy. Uh, and then the police opened fire. And so many people died in this incident. Uh, the result was they started martial law in 1949, and then the white terror period, which saw tens of thousands of deaths, uh, one of the darkest periods in Taiwan's history. So the number I want to ask you is, how many years was martial law in Taiwan? It ended in 1987, so that's 38. Excellent. Let's have a look at the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You are exactly right. It was 38 years, and this is a picture from the 228 incident. Uh, let's go on to from the most violent uh, demonstration in Taiwan's history to the biggest demonstration in Taiwan's history. Can either of you guess what that demonstration was? Was it against the military? 
It was not against the military. It's not that military. one, right? I think the White Lily student movement? Uh, it wasn't. I'm going to tell you. Because <laughs> it's a really hard one. All right. Let's have, uh, let me tell you. This is the 228 hand-in-hand -hand rally of oh. 2004. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah. So basically, people held hands across Taiwan. So for 500 kilometers from Jilong in the north all the way down to Pingdong in the south, people joined hands. They were protesting China's deployment of missiles aimed at Taiwan. It was also political in nature because 2004 was an election year. Um, the question is, how many people participated in Taiwan's biggest demonstration? Remember, they stood hand in hand from Jilong to Pingdong. 500 kilometers. Let's okay. say 700,000. Okay, Leslie, you want to make a guess? I'm doing a, I'm doing a lot of math in my head right now. <laughs> I'll go with a million. All right, let's have a look at the answer. Oh, two wow, million. two million two people. Two million people. So this was definitely That's the a lot of biggest demonstration in uh, Taiwan's history. So now let's go on to this next demonstration from 2013. And this involved protesters wearing white shirts and it was sparked by the death of one young man. Do you know who that man was? He yeah. was in the military. Hong Zhongqiu. Hong Zhongqiu. Very good. So he was a 24-year-old military uh, conscript. He died of a heat stroke. Uh, he was punished for doing something wrong. Do you know what he did? He was ratting on his superiors, right? Well, they say that the, the problem was that he brought his cell phone into an okay. army base. Um, and it's obviously it's more complicated than that, but people were really upset about the cruelty of his death and the kind of the, the, the tough environment of the military. The question I want to ask you, the number I'm looking for is how many people were convicted in the death of Hong Zhongqiu? Oh, 26? I don't remember. Three? I have no idea. So this remember. is actually a really tough question to answer. Let's have a look at the answer. Six, six convicted. So okay. there were six people that were convicted of those five served terms in jail. Um, mm. Now, I want to say that a lot more people were punished for this in the military. Dozens of people, um, you know, faced punishment within the military. But a lot of things changed after this. This was a really influential demonstration in Taiwan. The defense minister stepped down. The president apologized. They changed the laws uh, to protect um, people in the military, the conscripts from really unfair punishment. And they also abolished court martial during peacetime. So in other words, if something like this were to happen, it would go straight into the regular courts, not into a military mm. court. All right, last demonstration. What is the largest student-led demonstration in Taiwan's history? Sunflower movement? I would say sunflower. This was indeed the sunflower movement. Do you know what they were protesting against? Yes, a cross-strait trade pact that just mm. went really quickly in the legislature without a discussion. Exactly. So it was a cross-strait service trade agreement. They were angry that it had been kind of nailed down behind closed doors, and they were afraid that this was going to uh, lay out the groundwork for unification with China. Now, the number that we're looking for here is... These students occupied Taiwan's legislature. For how many days did the students oh. occupy the legislature in Taiwan? I'll say 49. 49 days? Okay. I was going to say 76. 76. All right, let's have a look at the answer. 
2023. Oh, wow. Oh, seemed like a really long time. It felt like a really long time. It did feel like a long time, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so 23 days. Um, now, those pictures that we uh, you saw just there, I took a lot of those pictures when I went to the legislature. Oh, wow. I actually went into the legislature itself to do some shows. Um, and uh, fascinating to watch uh, the students coming together, organizing. Uh, they were very well organized. They had a lot of art that was created, a lot of creativity that came out of this. Now, uh, I don't know if you remember how it ended. Uh, there was a peaceful ending. There was a huge rally of nearly half a million people in downtown Taipei, people wearing black. Um, and they postponed the review of this trade pact. So this was also a very, um, I guess you could call it a successful demonstration in Taiwan's history. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's just a, a couple of the uh, biggest and most important demonstrations in Taiwan's history. And up next, we're going to go to Leslie for Hashtag Taiwan. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about something a little more serious. I want to talk to you about what's going on in the United States of America. You might have seen this image plastered all over your Instagram. It shows support for the Hashtag Black Lives Matter movement. But organizers are asking people not to use that hashtag with this image because it prevents people from getting vital information. So instead of showing you a black screen, I'm going to talk about how the Taiwanese community has come together to help. Most recently, people are protesting the death of this man, George Floyd. Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota when a white police officer knelt on his neck for eight minutes, suffocating him. Floyd's offense? He was accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill and resisting arrest. American citizens are protesting because Floyd is just one of many black people killed at the hands of police and in racist incidents. Taiwanese American communities have come together to show support for Black Lives Matter on social media. The Taiwanese American Citizens League retweeted this image by Asian American artist Kalaya An Mendoza which says Taiwanese for Black Lives. In the center is a raised fist, a symbol of black power. Mendoza is of Filipino heritage but he's customized his design for various Asian communities. Esme Wei Jun Wang also tweeted out her own picture showing a pair of hands entwined in solidarity. Duke professor Eileen Chow on Twitter responded to a question asking how someone might translate Black Lives Matter into Chinese. She proposed the phrase Hei Ming Wu Jia, which translates to Black Lives Are Priceless. It's a play on words because it can also be read as Black Lives Are Given No Worth. Yellow peril is a term historically used in the United States to describe the threat Asians pose to Western society. Asian Americans have since reclaimed the term as a form of empowerment. Take a look at this image. Asians can show support for black people without suggesting that we know exactly what they've been through. The slogan here is, I understand that I will never understand, however I stand. While the experience is different, Taiwan history might provide some hope. Alton Wong points out that Taiwanese Americans should remember that Taiwan's democratic roots were the riots that faced a brutal crackdown by the government, killing thousands and leading to white terror and martial law. Martial law only ended because of continued protests and actions taken by the people. For more information, I highly recommend this article. We'll have a link below. That's all I have for you this week. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, and show support for one another. The Black Lives Matter protests have gone global. Have a look at some of the places around the world that have seen protests. Everywhere from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where George Floyd was killed, to Athens, Jerusalem, Paris, Rio, and Tokyo. People have been mobilizing here in Taiwan as well. If you'd like more information on how you can help, you can look up Black Lives Matter Taiwan on their Facebook page at facebook.com slash blmtaiwan. 
You'll find information on how to sign up to donate your time, money, and talents. And there's also an event this Saturday in Taipei for those that want to learn more. It's time for our lightning round news quiz. Feel free to play along at home while I see if these two guys have been paying attention. <laughs> you guys ready? I haven't, I haven't either. <laughs> okay, 60 seconds on the clock. Okay. All right, go. What major newspaper shut down this week? United Evening News. United News. Very good. <laughs> How is Taiwan planning to open up to different countries and different visitors from different countries? Different levels of quarantine. Very good. <laughs> What sold out within 10 minutes on online shopping sites because uh, they just entered the market? Face masks. That's right. Who got Taiwan's first 5G license? A European company. Is it? It is. Far East no. Tone? No. Uh, 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 Telecom. That's right. Oh. <laughs> There's only so many you can go before we get in. What medical facilities are in the 4,000-ton newly launched Coast Guard ship Jai? Medical facilities? Mm -hmm. uh, testing uh, sites for COVID-19. COVID-19 testing? Um, negative camps? pressure isolation oh, wards wow. and a Thanks. surgery room. What was inaugurated on World Bicycle Day? A new path to Jilong from Taipei City. Wow. That's right, a 1,300-meter <laughs> bikeway along the Jilong River. It connects Taipei, New Taipei, and Jilong. Wow. And what fashion items sold out in Tainan because Health Minister Chen Shizong wore them? It's a, it's a shirt that has little spoonbill uh, uh, birds on it. You saw that video. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Something else, too. Uh, like uh, it was little backpacks that have a fish on them. Okay, he was wearing those. Yeah. Those and sell out. <laughs> Something else too. Well, we'll have to take a look at the video. I mean, they're really cool shirts. Let's see what Sun Sezong sported and how he's setting some fashion trends. With COVID-19 contained, Health Minister Sun Sezong is now promoting domestic travel. Look at his bag. It resembles a tin of Tainan milkfish. He says if we're in a good mood, it helps prevent disease. Milkfish are popular in Tainan. Mr. Ke says milkfish are an important element of Tainan, so why not make them into a handbag? Minister Chen is also setting fashion trends. If you look closely at the pattern on his shirt, you'll see black-faced spoonbills from Tainan's Chigu Lagoon. Ke said he gave the shirts to Mr. Chen. And that was smart because Chen has become quite the celebrity. The head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau, Jason Ye, says the black-faced spoonbill shirts have become very popular. They're sold out, but they are taking phone orders. And the straw hat Chen sported? They're sold out, too. Looks like wherever he goes, whatever he does, Taiwan's beloved health minister is making a difference. Thanks so much for joining us for this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. We'll see you next week. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Oh, yeah.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. As protests roar throughout the world, whether it's against racism or authoritarianism, people are fighting for their rights. I take a look at what's happening with the Hong Kong protests against the national security law Beijing just passed at its National People's Congress. Danjiang University professor of strategy and wargaming, Alexander Huang, gives us his perspectives. I still believe that um, the numbers of people go violent or extremist uh, on the street uh, are very small portion of mm-hmm. the Hong Kong people. What I concern are the silent majority. No, you know they probably as suffer to the degree as the people go on street, but uh, they choose not to walk on the street. They still need to go to work. They need to get the paycheck, and they need to live a life. And uh, so they could only cross their fingers and hope for the best. So this is a kind of, if I may, uh, I want to make a plea and uh, ask. The Beijing government and uh, the Hong Kong SAR government uh, to be, you know, more passionate about the ordinary people in Hong Kong. My recollection about Hong Kong uh, during the British rule, uh, most of the Hong Kong people they did not talk about politics. They just tried to make a living and get wealthy. And and right now uh, is under so-called Chinese uh, governance. The Beijing needs to prove that they can handle Hong Kong much better than the British people, and, and this is a test not only to the few uh, leaders in Beijing, but also to the 1.4 billion people in China, that we do have the ability to let Hong Kong prospers and develop even after. The return. But it seems like they're failing the test, right? I mean, yeah, the all picture, these protests, and they're trying to crack down on freedoms, and the Hong Kong people are against that. Right. Uh, this this is um, you know the we are talking about the very very fundamental and basic uh, understanding of a free society that you need to communicate. With the people who give you the right, your mandates are from the people. So I think um, um, a lot of people probably uh, on mainland China did not have this experience uh, of communicating uh, the civil society, uh, respecting uh, different political views. One reason. Uh, probably is that they were under a one-party dictatorship. Right, they don't have elections, right? So <laughs> they don't have to they campaign. They did not have uh, the the knowledge that broadened enough uh, to to take that. But I don't want to say that they don't have the heart uh, to accept that. Uh, so this is a learning curve that uh, all Chinese people on the mainland need to go through, hmm. and uh, and uh, this is also. A lesson that uh, the rest of the world, if we still, uh, if our hearts are going to with uh, the Hong Kong people, that we need to be very vigilant. We need to watch the events. We need to uh, voice our concern at all times. So can we help the Hong Kong people? 
Um, I'm curious because um, this is all happening while there's a global pandemic, yes. which started in China. Mm -hmm. And this has vastly affected the way people look at China as well. So how do you see, and this is another move, a uh, very unpopular move by China. So how do you see China's global standing now in terms of its relations with the U.S., you know, the West, Taiwan, other countries? You know, actually, before the pandemic, you know, people would say that uh, China will become a strong power. Uh, China uh, will fulfill its Chinese dream by uh, 2049, and China set the goal and they can achieve. China probably will become the number one economy uh, in 10 years, and China will compete against the United States for global dominance. These were the assumptions. And right now with the pandemic, I think we put a question mark after everything that I just said, because um, this is a change of paradigm, not controlled by Beijing government. Uh, this is a global issue. Uh, the economy is not a China problem, it's a global problem. And um, there are things that we need to accommodate. For instance, uh, if human travel are limited, if uh, new business models are developed, if um, new technology will enable us to do things without shaking hands or without massive assistance, and uh, the robot, the AI technology, I think will change a lot. So at least from the current standpoint, the One Bell, One Row, the Belt and Row Initiative, the massive economic plan for uh, at the global scale will definitely slow down. China's growth rate will be hit uh, at least this year. And the, the unemployment rate had already been an issue before the pandemic. China will continue to deal with those. Next year, um, I worried from today all the way to J July 1 next year because July 1 uh, has been the, the date that Hong Kong returned to Beijing's rule. And July 1 uh, has been also the uh, birth date of Chinese Communist Party. And uh, July 1, 2021, next year, China will celebrate the centennial of the Communist Party. Oh, so centennial's up already. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and the party, right. Not the, the party, party, not yeah. the People's Republic. So from the Beijing standpoint, they cannot afford to have a very, very uncontrolled, chaotic Hong Kong on the day when Beijing is celebrating how grateful that the Communist Party had contributed to the Chinese people and the nation. So they have to do this in a sense. Um, I'm not judging whether that's a collective stupidity in dealing with the Hong Kong issue. But I try to understand and, and describe that why Beijing leader is pushing so hard now because in their mindset, they cannot wait until this time next year mm -hmm. and say, oh my God, Hong Kong is an issue. And uh, they are going to do something on July 1 
and uh, that will make China look so bad. Mm. You know, we cannot predict the future, but, and uh, I, I think everybody in Hong Kong knows that the big day is July 1 next year. So how to use the limited time we have to extend the olive branch and how can we have different vehicles to hook uh, the communities in Hong Kong together. And this is the most difficult part because people don't want to talk to Beijing. And Hong Kong SRAR government had only limited credibility since last year. And outside forces are not helping Hong Kong people but trying to ban, try to hit Beijing, but probably uh, make Hong Kong people suffer more. This is why I concern so much. Hmm. Well, what about Taiwan? What do you think we should be doing uh, for Hong Kong at this time? Well, aside from what we have done with Hong Kong last year uh, during the presidential campaign, I think what we can do now is to uh, engage uh, the Hong Kong community. If Taiwan government uh, does not have a room to uh, make dialogue uh, reopen with the Hong Kong SAR government. But I think uh, the Taiwan, um, the, the society, the civil society in Taiwan, we need to be more proactive. We need to reach out to the Hong Kong community and we, we try to help them. Uh, and also because, because if we can manage a better cross-strait relations, we will have more freedom and room to do more for Hong Kong. Um, so I'm not saying that we, we need to deal with the cross-strait immediately. The more Taiwan treat Hong Kong differently, the more Taiwan honor Hong Kong's special status, mm-hmm. the better the Hong Kong would be. Mm. Do you think we should have an asylum law for Hong Kong um people who are in danger, you know, of, of being persecuted politically? And- well, we cannot, we cannot make a piece of law uh, to do that, but we, we can only apply um, according to um, the law governing the special relations right, between case Taiwan by case and Hong basis, Kong right. on yeah. case by case, mm. because, because we do not want to be victimized ourselves um, you know, the good part is to help Hong Kong, but, uh, but by helping Hong Kong, we cannot, you know, worsen the uh, cross-strait relations. So we need to be very careful on this. Mm. Well, Professor uh, Huang, thank you so much for your thoughts about this very uh, big news that we're facing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I've been speaking with Professor Alexander Huang. He is a professor of strategy and war gaming at Danjiang University about the new National Security Act for Hong Kong and Taiwan's response. The sound of the Amis tribe on Radio Taiwan International.
time for our lightning round news quiz. Feel free to play along at home while I see if these two guys have been paying attention. <laughs> you guys ready? I haven't, I haven't either. <laughs> okay, 60 seconds on the clock. Okay. All right, go. What major newspaper shut down this week? United, United Evening News. news. United right. Evening News. Very good. <laughs> How is Taiwan planning to open up to different countries and different visitors from different countries? Different levels of quarantine. Very good. <laughs> What sold out within 10 minutes on online shopping sites because uh, they just entered the market? Face masks. That's right. Who got Taiwan's first 5G license? A European company. Is it? It is. Far East no. Tone? No. Uh, 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 Telecom. That's right. <laughs> There's only so many you can go before we get in. What medical facilities are in the 4,000-ton newly launched Coast Guard ship Jai? Medical facilities? Mm -hmm. uh, testing uh, sites for COVID-19. COVID-19 testing? Um, negative camps? pressure isolation oh, wards wow. and a okay. surgery room. What was inaugurated on World Bicycle Day? A new path to Jilong from Taipei City. Wow. That's right, a 1,300-meter <laughs> bikeway along the Jilong River. It connects Taipei, New Taipei, and Jilong. Wow. And what fashion items sold out in Tainan because Health Minister Chen Shizong wore them? It's a, it's a shirt that has little spoonbill uh, uh, birds on it. You saw that video. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Something else, too. Uh, like uh, it was little backpacks that have a fish on them. Okay, he was wearing those. Yeah. Those and sell out. <laughs> Something else too. Well, we'll have to take a look at the video. I mean, they're really cool shirts. Let's see how he's setting some fashion trends. With COVID-19 contained, Health Minister Tsang Shizong is now promoting domestic travel. Look at his bag. It resembles a tin of Tainan milkfish. He says if we're in a good mood, it helps prevent disease. Milkfish are popular in Tainan. Mr. Ke says milkfish are an important element of Tainan, so why not make them into a handbag? Minister Chen is also setting fashion trends. If you look closely at the pattern on his shirt, you'll see black-faced spoonbills from Tainan's Chigu Lagoon. Ke said he gave the shirts to Mr. Chen. That was smart because Chen has become quite the celebrity. The head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau, Jason Ye, says the black-faced spoonbill shirts have become very popular. They're sold out, but they are taking phone orders. And the straw hat Chen sported? They're sold out, too. Looks like wherever he goes, whatever he does, Taiwan's beloved health minister is making a difference. That's Taiwan Today for the week. Thanks for joining me. I'm Natalie So. John Van Trieste and the destination 1987 30 years ago Taiwan entered a major period of transition in 1987 decades of martial law came to an end the martial law era was one when rights were restricted and dissidents persecuted and this year has brought on much reflection about this uncomfortable part of Taiwan's past. But many people have also started to look back on the music of the martial law era. During the period, the government kept close tabs on Taiwan's popular music, 
blacklisting a total of somewhere around 900 songs by the end of it. Justifications were offered. Lists of rules drawn up included bans on things like depressing lyrics, obscenity, and content deemed harmful to youth. But the reasoning for a given song's blacklisting was often vague, even arbitrary. So it was that some of Taiwan's most beloved songs faced censorship and even outright clampdowns. Today, we're going to hear some of these songs, now sung freely, but often reminders of a time when autocracy was a given. Most of the band songs we'll hear today have aged gracefully into the kind of oldies that even young people still know well. Taiwan had known band songs even before martial law. There had been band songs under Japanese colonial rule from 1895 to 1945 as well. But after 1945, when World War II ended and the Allies gave Taiwan to the Republic of China government, the number of band songs would just keep growing. This was a rocky time. Among other things, the new government was busy fighting the Chinese Civil War. And it was in 1947, amid this strife, that the first song bands came out. Officials complained that as other areas became war zones, the city dwellers of China's southeast coast continued to sing debauched songs. There was nothing much debauched about these songs at all. Many were just sentimental love songs. But in a time of national emergency, these were deemed inappropriate. And by one count, the first band covered 89 songs. By 1949, the Republic of China government had lost the war, and it retreated to Taiwan and a few offshore islands. In these areas still under its control, the government declared martial law. And it was in 1949 that the cheerful-sounding song we opened today's program with was released. Don't let the music fool you, though. Speakers of Taiwan's southern Hokkien language will hear a sad tale. It's about a man who's down on his luck and struggling to make a living by selling rice dumplings. This was an era of economic as well as political hardship, and the song struck a chord with Taiwan's public. But, some in power thought, this song was a damning commentary on the government. After all, the sort of hard times the song deals with should be impossible under a good government like their own. So, a new band song was born and the version most people know scraped by the censors a second time only after changes to the title and lyrics. Sentimental themes like love and anything remotely risque continued to face bands. This 1954 song called Give Me a Kiss by Hong Kong-based singer Zhang Lu was banned for pushing the envelope this way. Other songs, meanwhile, were banned for associations with Chinese communists, or indeed with Taiwan's own Japanese past. The song, some say, was banned for longer than any other, ran into trouble for exactly this reason. It's called Mama, I'm Brave and Strong, and was set to a Japanese-era tune. Another mom-centered song of Japanese origin made its Taiwan debut in 1958. The author of the song's lyrics, Wen Xia, had 99 blacklisted works to his name, according to one source, making him the king of banned songs. This song, called Mama Please Take Care, had a strongly homesick tone and was deemed damaging to soldiers' morale. Still other songs faced bans because of the paranoia of the time. 
In the 1940s, a song entitled Defend the Great Taiwan received official favor. That quickly changed when someone realized you could switch around the tones of the words and get a song about surrounding and attacking Taiwan instead. For officials of the time, every song had potential hidden meanings, and there was always a fear that people singing one thing on the surface actually meant something very different. The way these bands worked could vary. Often, a song that had passed the censors once would then be suppressed after the fact once it became a hit and some official or other thought up a reason to ban it. A song once banned could easily be unbanned later too, often with a few changes as we saw in the case of the Dumpling Song. There were also different degrees of bans, with some simply blocking broadcast or performance. Violating a ban, though, could be disastrous. Some were jailed simply for singing a bit of a forbidden tune. Others who sang banned songs like Yao Su Rong were luckier, but they still had to deal with life-changing consequences. With over 80 banned songs by one count, the singer Yao Su Rong was the second most banned artist of the time. She had a great reputation as a singer of tearful songs, the exact sorts of depressing, morale-busting songs the government was keen to suppress. During a concert, she once decided to break into this 1960s hit of hers called Ungrateful Person. Her government-issued license to perform was taken away, forcing her to leave Taiwan and continue her singing career abroad. The bands continued to pile up. This 1973 song, called The Desert of Passion, was deemed too suggestive to pass muster. Later, in 1979, amid a folky period in Taiwan's music history, this haunting classic called Olive Tree came out. It was later banned from the airwaves for eight years. Its romantic talk of wandering went against the spirit of the times, and officials fussed over lines they found problematic. Some sources say their official explanation for the ban was, quote, unclear ideology. By 1987, when martial law was lifted, the government blacklist had seen a huge range of classic songs like these pass through its pages. In a way, it became a sort of great Taiwanese songbook. Now, though, after hundreds of songs had passed through its pages, the books listing banned works were to be a thing of the past. It's interesting to note that they didn't become a thing of the past right away. The last song to be banned was this one, a song that opens satirically with a line from the national anthem and goes on with politically charged lyrics that were too much for the censors. 
This ban actually happened in 1989, two years after the lifting of martial law. Still, this final song is definitely an outlier, and Taiwan was by this point firmly on the road to democracy and freedom of expression. Thirty years on from the end of martial law, many of the old band songs are still surprisingly popular. Today, you can hear them sung out in the open just about anywhere, on TV variety shows, in karaoke lounges, and at concerts. As we mark three decades since martial law's end, you can expect that those singers who remember the period will have a special gleam of subversion in their eyes as they celebrate freedom. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you why we protest. All right, Natalie, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. You ready? Yes. All right, go. In 1967, at Stanford University, Dr. Martin Luther King explained why people riot. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. Psychologists say there's a tipping point when shared anger ignites collective action. In the U.S., it was the video of George Floyd being killed by the police. The Tiananmen protests were sparked by the death of pro-reform Communist Party chairman Hu Yaobang. In Taiwan, a similar student democracy protest began in March 1990 after National Assembly members extended their own terms and gave themselves a raise. Last year, an extradition law incited Hong Kong protesters who were afraid Beijing would take away their freedom. People protest when they don't trust the system and the authorities. We protest out of fear of what will happen if we don't. Excellent job, Thanks, Natalie. Andrew. That was great. Gave you a couple seconds. Extra. I think I needed that. That's it, a big topic. It's a big topic, and I think it's really important to yeah. get all the way through it. Thanks. Yeah. So thanks for that. And that is our Taiwan Explained for the week. Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West, every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International. Radio for refined palates. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, to a temple procession in Taipei, the people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. This is Victoria. From the London Underground to the Taipei Metro, the people of our world are going places. 
Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.